What London Can Be is brought to you by London Community Foundation, an organization dedicated to improving communities across London and Middlesex County. Welcome to What London Can Be, the podcast where we navigate our shifting world, shine a light on the issues our city is facing, and explore the innovative Made in London solutions to critical challenges in our community. I'm Diane Silva, Director of Philanthropy at Lenin Community Foundation. Today I'll be speaking with the Thames Valley District School Board, their chair, Lorianne Pizzolato, and trustee, Corinne Rahman, to talk about some of the challenges facing our community's education system, which was brought on by the pandemic, and how the school board has faced these challenges head-on. Their insight as trustees and mothers of school-aged children is especially valuable with the new school year in full swing, and I'm glad to have them on the show today. Hi, Lorianne. Hi, Corinne. How are you two? Doing well, thank you. Good. I'm great. Great. Thank you for inviting us. Oh, no, super excited to have you on our podcast. So for our listeners, would you mind telling us a bit about the Thames Valley District School Board and what does it mean to be a trustee? Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, so Lorianne and I, Chair Pizzolatto and I, were elected to the Board of Trustees in 2018. Um What does it mean to be a member of the Board of Trustees? Well, we're locally elected members uh, representing the public and the community. We're advocating for public education. Our role is to support student achievement, well-being, and equity. We establish the board's multi-year strategic plan, which includes the vision to ensure a stronger public education system. We help to set goals for student achievement, well-being and equity, and we promote accountability throughout the school board. Another part of our role is to ensure the stewardship of board resources, which includes passing the budget. And I don't know if people know, but, you know, our budget is almost a billion dollars, right? It's actually bigger than the City of London's budget. So it's a it's a pretty important uh, position, I feel. Wow, I didn't realize the size of the budget. That does put things into perspective. Thanks for sharing that. So uh, obviously the pandemic has absolutely stood our entire education system on its head last year. Closures, remote learning, health and safety measures, and of course the increased stress for teachers, staff, students, and parents. So fast forward to this year, you know, kids are back to school. So what has back to school looked like so far and how is it different from last year? So I think it's, you know, we've gone through the pandemic already. So what's different this year? You know, we've built a outstanding relationship with a public health unit. Um, So something like uh, extracurriculars. Thames Valley considers um, extracurriculars important for students. So we worked with the public health units and we said, how can we make this safe for our students? And what protocols can we put in place for COVID? And they helped us achieve that so that we could have extracurriculars. So we have uh, great community partnerships now with the um, public health units. Our staff and students right now, they're more comfortable with wearing masks. They've been wearing masks for a while, so the students are comfortable wearing masks, washing their hands. They know to physically distance. So teachers have uh, a smaller, they don't have to teach the students as much this year because they're they're really used to it from last year. So we have, you know, more HEPA filters. We spent $15 million last summer to increase ventilation. You know, our staff, they're 
they're 94%, you know, vaccinated or partially vaccinated. So I think we're in a better place than we were actually last year. Great. And what are some of the challenges involved in keeping schools both open and safe? How do you balance that? Yeah, so it, it is, it's very important for us to keep schools open. We know that's the best place for students to learn in person. They learn um, social skills at school. They learn um, important lessons about being responsible community members. It is better for their mental health and well-being. So for us, um, the most important place for the students is to be in person so that we are trying to keep our schools open as much as we can. And, and I'd also add, Lorianne and I are both moms, and so we, we can personally attest to the fact that it's great to have our kids back in school. Um, I know personally, for my three, I've seen such joy uh, with being back in the classroom, the excitement about seeing their friends. Um, you know, it's, it's just been wonderful so far this fall uh, to have that experience again. That makes sense for sure. And my and so, kids were re- sorry. Yeah, my no, kids go were ahead. Re- no, please, Lorian. My kids were learning remotely throughout the whole last year, so I was happy that they were going to school, um, and they were thrilled to go back to school to see their friends, you know, in person. Um, they couldn't be happier. So yeah, so I agree with uh, Trustee Roman. We had, yeah, it was a joy for them to go back to school. That's great, um, and it makes total sense. Now, obviously, the focus is around students, but what are some of the challenges your teachers had to overcome uh, during the pandemic and even getting ready for this year, if you could share that? So, you know, our teachers are amazing. They had to go through this whole pandemic, um, and I feel for the teachers. They had a lot of work to do. So, you know, we went into all this remote learning. So accessing technology, doing all this technology. Well, you know what, right now they are, um, we can pivot on a dime. All the teachers are required to maintain and keep a virtual learning space or platform that they can easily quickly pivot to. So they've had to learn that. Um, and we've updated that. Um, our teachers are reconnecting with all the students. You know, the students were away for a while. They're reconnecting with them and saying, hey, welcome back kind of thing and assessing what their learning is, right? And what, what are their learnings? What did they lose during, during that time period? And how can we help you now and to get you up to the, that grade level? So that's what the teachers are doing right now. But we know that these, the, it is important for kids to be in school. So the teachers are working really hard to get all the kids back to where they were before. Yeah, and just to add to that, I think um, the one thing that I admire most about teachers is that throughout this pandemic, they put empathy at the spotlight of the work that they do. our board had a first do no harm approach. And so we were really focused and committed to the outcomes of all learners in the board. And, And I think that that will continue and is always the focus for teachers, but that really was highlighted during the pandemic. Right. And how can schools and school boards better prepare for things like this, like this pandemic going forward? I'm sure there's been a lot of lessons along the way. I I can get started on that question. And then I'm sure Trustee Pizzolatto will have a lot to share about that as well. 
Um, you know, this pandemic has taught us so much. Uh, it has taught us that um, inequities exist throughout the system. And we really came to realize that there were, were huge inequities when it came to technology. And so that was something uh, I would say our board responded to quickly. Um, and so that's definitely something we've learned uh, from this pandemic is that in order for students to best learn online, they need to have the resources and supports to do so, that those uh, resources and supports are foundational to their success. So making sure that for instance, rural areas uh, had access where they may have limited or low access, uh, low income um, areas and urban areas that they also uh, have the access that is needed to get online and to be able to support a connection that allows for uh, school to happen uh, remote and synchronous. Um, so there was a lot of learning that happened in that sense. Um, other things I would say that we've learned is that we've learned how to be flexible, agile, creative in, in, a, in a pandemic. And so I can see how that flexibility is now um, becoming part of the culture of the organization. And so do you see um, some of these things becoming policy, like embedded in the, your practices going forward in ensuring that you are tackling some of these inequities um, that do exist across the whole school board? So um, I can answer that. Um, so yeah, I do see policies. We've already put in place policies for the, um, you know, the virtual platform of maintaining that virtual platform from the teachers um, that they have to have. Those are policies that came into place, you know, because of COVID, other things, you know, partnering with municipalities and, and community partners to try to get access to the internet, um, especially in those areas that we couldn't, we didn't have access, right? Um, trying to figure out, you know, how to get everyone technology, right? Some people didn't have that technology. How do we get that to them? Other inequities I, that we had that were challenges um, are... Uh, the, vir the virtual experience for some students with complex medical needs or intellectual disabilities, you know, it was challenging and virtually impossible to do. So uh, we recognize that in, in January of 2021, I think that was the second wave, um, the Minister of Education decided, you know what, we can't do this virtually with these students, they need to be in person. So they brought them into the classrooms and started working with them in person. Um, some of the things we, we learned and we, we have to do better on is, you know, community partnerships. You know, when those students with um, special needs, some of them were in regular classrooms and they were at home. Okay, so they were at home. Their caregivers had to take care of them, right? So they had to take care of them. They didn't have time. They, like they were exhausted. The stress of the pandemic and then they have the stress of, you know, having to take care of their child 24-7. Um, they couldn't do, you know, they needed that school for a break and they didn't have that break. So we recognize that school is important for, for even, you know, the caregivers so that they could, you know, have that break to do laundry, to go grocery shopping, you know, just to organize the house. Um, when the pandemic happened, they couldn't get the resources in the community, right? Because the communities were shut down. Where did they get the resources? They were relying on the school. So we realized how much families relied on the schools for a lot of resources for their children. 
Now I'm curious because you're explaining this at a high level and I can imagine um, the gravity of some of these situations. Uh, do you have any firsthand stories uh, that you wouldn't mind sharing in how you handled these delicate situations? Like where, you know, maybe, you know, the access to internet, to access to technology. How, can you expand that a little bit more for people who do, may not understand how really you executed on that? Um, I can, I guess I can help with some, with explaining some of that. Um, of course, being respectful of individual circumstances and, uh, and those stories belonging to those individuals. Um, I, I can speak more globally that, you know, one of the things that I think our board did very well was, uh, to reach out to families um, right away. And that was a phone call from teachers, right? And again, I go back to, this is where our teachers just shine as caring adults, um, you know, calling to find out if families have resources, making a list of all the students they may need some form of technology, then sending that list back into the, to the school, arranging for that that piece of technology that student needs to get into their hands as soon as possible. Um, and then making sure that their families, as well as the learner, know how to interact with that technology. So, you know, we, we, the board offered a uh, Brightspace, which is the platform, one of the platforms we use, and Google Classroom training uh, for parents so that they were able to work with their, their students, uh, their, their children at home uh, to provide that learning and support that they needed. Um, I remember one of the first sessions, and I, I can't even remember how long ago this was now, but one of the first sessions that they offered, they had over 500 parents registered to attend a session and to learn about Brightspace Google Classroom. That's phenomenal connection, uh, parent engagement that took place. And it's because we all were working towards the same outcome. And that was to continue the learning and keep students engaged in school. So to me, that's one of the bigger lessons. One of the things I did want to talk about as well is food security. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of students that go to school every day uh, when school is open and have a breakfast provided by the community, by, by community groups. Um, uh, they have snacks, uh, healthy snacks provided in the classroom during the school day. So there's food support that takes place in schools every day. During the pandemic, with schools being closed, and especially when we were closed for 20 weeks, that food security became even more important. And what I saw was the community um, and teachers and schools become more flexible in the ways that they were able to support students. And we have amazing community partners. And I think of Luso, for instance, who uh, ensured that families were not going without that basic need. And that is the kind of story that we need to tell all day long about the amazing work of these groups in our communities that are ensuring that students have the nourishment they need to learn. I'm really glad you highlighted that because I think there's that interconnection of uh, the education system and how the broader community can support uh, families and students and the education system. So what um, are some of the actions that parents, students, and the broader community can take to help schools and the system recover, you know, in the now and throughout the rest of the pandemic and going forward? 
So I, I guess I can start and then uh, Trustee Rama can continue. Um, so, you know, we have home and schools and schools councils. I'd say to connect, especially if you're um, a family member in the school, connect with them. They know what's going on in the school and they can tell you what needs they have and, you know, how they can help. And it's as simple as, you know, I, I remember helping for graduation last year and we had to do it outside, right? So they just needed their gardens, you know, spruced up and some mulch distributed out so that the girls with the high heels wouldn't, you know, be going into the mud. Um, and you know what? We were out there and community members were coming to us and saying, hey, you know what? Let, let me help kind of thing. Um, you know, dropping off, sometimes calling the principal because the principal, everyone's, all the schools are different and the communities are different. So I would say contact the principal of that school and say, what do you need? Right. Because some might need some gift cards for some, you know, grocery stores um, to hand out to some parents. Right. So that they can uh, buy some food or maybe they need food for um, their school to go buy. Right. So and then I would say also the Thames Valley Education Fund, you know, they gave um, a lot of families money during this time um, for things they needed. Right. They were in dire situation, financial situ dire situations, and they were there ready for the families to give them some um, whatever they needed. So I would say call the Thames Valley Education Fund and say, hey, do you want a donation um, to help some of the families? That's what I would say. Very nice. Um, and I'm also assuming also the uh, neighborhood uh, community resource centers too, like you mentioned, Luso being there to step up. I, I can see those being so integral to those communities, even during like after school situations too, right? So yeah, if if you don't mind, I also wanted to add, um, you know, I, I completely agree with Chair Pizzolatto. She brought up some great points. Um, I would say that, yeah, principals are a great resource. One of the things that we need to tackle as we move forward is looking at what kind of um, learning challenges and learning loss took place during the pandemic. And so I would, you know, I'm I want to applaud those neighborhood community groups, the local library and other organizations that are setting up resources for learners whether that be virtual um, reading uh, collaborations or, or programs for young readers, whether that be coming back into the libraries and providing literacy programs, uh, it's going to take our entire community and the motivation of all of us to move students forward and ensure that they uh, catch up on any materials that they need to get help to catch up on, but also to provide any supports to make sure that we um, we continue to prioritize their learning. And I, I'd say along with that, we now know that community health is integral to keeping our schools open, and that needs to continue. We need to continue to have dialogue on how to improve our community health in order to support our educational um, goals as a community. Okay, so Laurieanne and Corinne, you're talking about inequities, and we keep hearing about inequities in the system and, and in our, across our community. But can you help unpack that further for me? Give me more context of what these inequities look like in the context of education and the impacts that it has on children. 
Thank you. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I want to talk about is a lot of our students pre-pandemic were on wait lists for assessments. So trying to figure out how do we best support them in the learning environment. And now we've been through um, this pandemic, we're still living through this pandemic, which has caused a, a backlog of appointments for, um, for, for students to get those kinds of diagnoses and, and resources and tools. So right now it's really critical that we look at as a community how to better support learners. Yeah, and I would follow up on, you know, Assessment's important for students, you know, to get them assessed, we get them assessed, we know where they're at, and then we can give them the resources so that um, they can strive, right? They can do well in their education, right? So, you know, reducing wait times for speech and language and occupational therapy and mental health, right? Using the community resources we have out there to reduce those assessment wait times. That's important for the student because the earlier they get assessed, the earlier we can in age, the earlier we can um, determine what their needs are, the better they'll do, right, in school as they move forward. Yeah, and when it comes to mental health, we know that pre-pandemic, we had a child mental health crisis. That crisis continues, and we need governments to step up and declare this a crisis and put the resources in place so we can support children in our communities. Again, we have to consider this as a, as a community approach. Uh, it takes all of us. It takes all of us advocating to the government to prioritize children at this time. Well said. And finally, and I'll ask this question to both of you, um, what do you think Lennon can be and how do you think we can get there together? Um, I think that London can be a safe place for families and children. Uh, I, I see London, you know, the pandemic has shown us that, you know, we step up, we help each other. And if we can continue helping, we, you know, seamlessly transition people for, um, through our community groups and through the school system. Um, and we all kind of row in the same direction for our children and for our kids, right? So whatever we can do to help our kids, you know, how can we reduce wait times through the community for speech and language and occupational therapy? You know, what special field trips can we do? Do we not know? Right. So let's let's connect with those community partners and and learn from them and see what 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 can we offer to our children? What special field trips? Right. What seamless transitions can we give to our immigrant families and students in our schools? Um, so working really closely with our community partners, and I think that's something that. Um, we've seen that we need to improve and that we're doing through, through the pandemic. Yeah, just to build on that, I think a kids first, students first approach to how we're going to support our community is definitely vital to our pandemic recovery, but what we also see as, uh, you know, our, our goals for our community in general. Um, what we saw during this pandemic was beautiful acts of kindness, patience, and love, and that it takes a village to, uh, to raise a child, but also to support them in their learning. So we need more of that. We need London working together 
And, uh, you know, what I'd like to see is I'd like to see some strategic planning crossing over between the city of London and the school board around graduation rates, around child education, around ensuring that we have the best educational supports, resources, and services for learners in our schools. And okay, so now you've opened that up. Uh, do you see uh, that happening in any way? Or are you basically saying that you obviously you want to see more, but is there any progress in that area? I guess I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that um, as we start talking about the future, what the next election cycle looks like municipally, I'm hoping that our community makes these issues community issues. And I think that that's a good place to put them at the forefront. Educational goals need to be part and parcel of our community goals. Um, We need to want very strongly for the success of every child in our community. And I think that that's the motivation that we all need to to see. And, and I want to see it on the ballot, I guess, this election. Well done. Um, thank you both. Oh, go ahead, Lorianne. municipalities of those areas to say, how can we get that internet access to those families, right? So I think we see that we need more collaboration. We have done it and we see that we need more. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it's shown you. It's shown you what is possible, right? When you do work well together and that you can make uh, effect change in those communities as well. Um, This was great, very eye-opening. I loved hearing your perspectives. Um, Thank you for sharing your perspective of how the education system is working uh, through the pandemic. And thank you all for your commitment. And um, I I commend you and your teachers and the whole board uh, for everything that you're doing uh, for our kids and their futures. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay. (laughs) Have a good day. You too. Thank you for joining us for this episode of What London Can Be. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn how to subscribe to this podcast and for more information about today's guest, visit us at lcf.on.ca slash what London can be. If you like this podcast, tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find links on our website. Thank you again for joining us.